Howdy. Howdy. How's it going? Great. How's it going with you? Great. Happy Monday morning. I did not just fart. That was my chair rubbing up against my I was just going to try to gloss over it, but you decided to point it out. So we might as well just address the cloud in the room. Right. Sorry. Sure. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So your Monday morning is going real great. Thanks for welcoming the listeners so wonderfully. Um, guys, Guys, welcome to this week's snack size episode. This time is my time. It's my turn. And I am going to tell you guys and you, Laura, about the New England vampire panic. Have you heard of this? What? No, I'm so excited. No, really? Oh, yes. Okay, great. All right. I love it when you haven't heard of something. Um, now I understand how you feel uh, when, you talk, <laughs> when you like to surprise me. Okay. So it was a scene that only Dracula and his blood-splattered ilk could love. In the 18th and early 19th century, New Englanders were gripped by a vampire panic. In desperation, they began dismembering suspected vampires in hopes of driving off the terror and death that had threatened to upend their lives. But how did vampires come to invade the newly created United States? So it actually kind of all began in... A few unfortunate New England villages as tuberculosis, which was then called consumption, ravaged entire families and communities. This bacterial lung disease, which spread easily among family members, had horrid symptoms, giving feverish sufferers an ashen appearance and sunken eyes. In some cases, some some cases, nope, in some cases, blood would drop from their mouths. So it was a very slow and painful death, almost as if the life was gradually being drained out of them. It earned the name consumption for the way it caused dramatic weight loss. So severe was the epidemic that it claimed around 2% of the region's population from 1786 to 1800 and eventually killed perhaps 25% of the East Coast citizens, which is a lot. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot. Sorry. So imagine a communicable disease a great deal slower to manifest than COVID-19 with symptoms even more ambiguous. Um, this author, Michael Bell, who's written a book about this this panic, I wanted to call it a pandemic, but it wasn't. Um, he was given an, an, an interview and he said this communicable disease that did not explode through a population, leaving in its wake the dead and those who survive through good fortune or natural immunity and then disappear become latent. It was a disease that instead, once it grasped a person, could go in and out of remission for a period of months or years or even decades. So... Yeah. No one understood how diseases spread back then, right? So all they knew was that as consumption victims died their surviving family members would begin to fall ill one by one. Neighbors would also become afflicted. Um, So adding to its mystery, consumption seemed capricious in its choosing of its victims. Some families escaped intact, while others were completely decimated. So 
frightened villagers began to believe that the first to die were perhaps vampires of sorts. At night, those sharp-toothed bloodsuckers would wriggle out of their graves, stalk their own families, and slowly but surely suck the life out of them until they too died horrendous deaths. So terrified, villagers reasoned that there was only one way to halt the vampire attacks, but first they had to dig up the bodies and examine them. If the corpse appeared to be less decayed than expected, they'd slice the bodies open, sift through the internal organs, and if the organs contained liquid blood, the the person was deemed possessed and a vampire. So, but wouldn't that happen most of the time anyway? It's not like they embalmed people, right? So, like, all the blood would settle. Right. Like, it would be all um, coagulated, but... Right. So, But if there were liquid blood in their organs, then they were, they were thinking, okay, well, this person's clearly a vampire because it should be coagulated gelatinous blood. Okay. So the theory is just, well, (laughs) true. So the theory seems to have been that the corpses were being inhabited by some sort of evil spirit that was sustaining itself by draining the life or blood from the living. This spiritual possession had to be destroyed and the evil bond between the living and dead needed to be broken, usually by burning the infected organ and sometimes feeding the ashes to those who were ill. So to be extra sure that the vampire wouldn't arise again, sometimes the corpses were beheaded. Some had their bones shattered and rearranged in a skull and crossbow symbol. The vampires were always corpses. And this is this is what this author was explaining. Mm-hmm. Um, they were never living people. The people who were performing the ritual never referred to the corpses they exu- exhumed as vampires, although some outsiders, including newspaper writers and local historians, sometimes labeled these consumption rituals as vampirism. So according to this author, desperate grave div- div- every episode, son of a bitch. <laughs> Desperate grave digging scenes played out at least 80 times throughout the vampire panic. (laughs) (laughs) Often the bodies were disinterred at night. The grisly ceremony attended only by close relatives. Some Vermont towns took things a step further, however, burning organs for hundreds of witnesses to see, perhaps providing them with some hope that the plague of vampires was ended. So apparently the earliest documented consumption slash vampire ritual that was this guy found was from Wilmington, Connecticut in 1784. The last authentically documented case occurred in 1892 in Exeter, Rhode Island. So these dates coincide with the consumption epidemic in New England, which began to rise dramatically in the late 1700s and continued throughout the 1800s. But in 1882... The year that German physician Robert Koch proved that tuberculosis was caused by a bacterium, the vampire rituals slowed to a halt. But before it all ended, there was a climax of sorts, one that's become known as the Mercy Brown Vampire Incident. So what happened with this freaking crazy shit is in 1892. You said Mercy Brown, not Murphy Brown, right? Mercy Brown, (laughs) yeah. Could you imagine? Listen, so she's a news reporter in Rhode Island. Busy lady. Um, (laughs) 
1892, a Rhode Island farmer named George Brown watched consumption kill his wife and then his two daughters in succession. Then his son Edwin became deathly ill as well. Although he wanted no part of the ritual, village... Okay, I'm just going to send you my notes and you finish telling the story because I clearly can't speak. You got it. So although he wanted no part of the ritual, villagers eventually persuaded Brown to let them exhume the bodies of his wife and daughters for examination. The bodies of his wife and one daughter were just bones, but Mercy, the most recent to die just two months prior, was surprisingly intact. That she died in midwinter and thus was partially preserved by the frigid temperatures did not stop the examiners from being suspicious. They also noted that her fingernails and hair had grown. A trick of the eyes that we now know is caused by the flesh retracting around them. So, armed with this evidence, the villagers were certain they'd found their vampire. They cut out her heart and burned it. Then, for good measure, they had her brother Edwin drink the ashes in hopes that he'd recover. Ew! I know! Oh, God! Ew! However, not long after, consumption claimed him too. So, perhaps it's not very surprising then that Rhode Island was reportedly called the cap- the vampire capital of America. <laughs> <laughs> Rhode Island? Yes. Good to know. Love good it. Good to know, Rhode Island. We're looking at you. I mean, good God. Such was They're the past. tiny and quiet. <laughs> I know, right? You don't really hear a lot from... Um, yeah, we know why now. They're like, don't look over here. Right? There's nothing to see. Nothing to see. Keep it moving. Um, such was the power of the Exeter vampire slayings that their stories carried across the Atlantic. According to some accounts, when Irish-born writer Bram Stoker, the author of the novel Dracula, died in 1897, witnesses say they found newspaper clippings of the Mercy Brown saga in his files. Wow. Right? And that is the New England vampire panic. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Isn't that a crazy one? I was like, what is fucking happening? Um, (laughs) But it was so good. Just so good. Um, So, yeah. There's not a movie about this. I kind of am too, but maybe that's just Dracula. Maybe that's Bram Stoker's book. Maybe that's it. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm glad you had never heard of it before. Uh, one of the podcasts that I listened to uh, covered it. And then, as you know, guys, I just go through and I just Google search weird stories. Um, and this one came up and I'm like, oh, God. I also found another one that I, I did write for my next turn next couple weeks. And I couldn't decide just now when we were getting ready to record which one I wanted to tell. So I went with this one. And so, yeah, what'd you think? I loved it. That was so great. Yeah. (laughs) So really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm such a fan of Bram Stoker's Dracula that I was pleasantly surprised about the end of that. So that that maybe he had found out about it and it could have inspired him. I think it was cool. Um, Those wacky Americans. (laughs) Good God. Um, pretty much the same reaction most of them have now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's at least we're consistent. 
I mean, at least we're consistent. Uh, anyway, guys, that is your Monday morning weird story. We certainly hope that it does kick off your week right and weird. And Laura is back next week with another one. I really love this series, Laura. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to research. It's a lot of fun to pick and choose stories that we want to tell. And uh, yeah, the listeners. I love the, it too. You know what? Like, like I, too. I love the weird shit that I have learned I know. And whether you're telling it or I'm telling it. I'm like, these mm-hmm. are just, I don't know. I find I'm entertained. So, so yeah. entertained. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, guys, we hope you have a really wonderful week. We will see you on Saturday with a brand new episode. And then Laura's up next Monday with her weird story. Uh, until then stay safe out there. Cause you never know who or what is listening. Bye guys. Bye. <laughs>